0: everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Glasgow, Senior Freight Transportation Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Stamatis Santanis, Sea Energy Maritime Holding Corporation's Chairman and CEO, which uh, trades under the ticker SHIP uh, on the NASDAQ. Stamatis joined Sea Energy in 2012 and led its significant growth to the only pure-play cape size company listed in the US. He's also a founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of United Maritime Corp., an independent diversified public shipping company that was initially established as a subsidiary of Sea Energy. Sea Energy and United, as a group, have cargo carrying capacity over 4 million deadweight tons. Stamatis has over 24 years of experience in shipping and finance and previously held senior management positions in prominent private and public shipping companies and financial institutions. He's also a member of the board of directors of BreakWave Advisors, the advisor of ETFMG, which is the manager of New York Stock Exchange listed BDRY and BWET. Stamatis holds a master of science in shipping trade and finance from Bayes Business School, in London and a Bachelor of Science in Shipping Economics from the University of Piraeus. He is also a Fellow of the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers. Brokers. Stamatis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, uh, Leith. Uh, hello, everyone, and uh, good to be here uh, and uh, to be discussing about uh, Synergy, United Maritime, and the current uh, trends in international uh, shipping.
0: Right and and you know so everyone may not be familiar with with Sea Energy's uh, fleet you know I mentioned in your intro uh cape size vessels can you uh, explain to us what exactly is a cape size vessel and you know talk about your fleet and what kind of commodities that you haul of course
1: well first of all the cape sizes are dry bulk vessels which means that they carry they transport dry bulk commodities mainly iron ore coal and bauxite these are the three major commodities that we transport Uh, we have the largest conventional size of dry bulk ships and the main trading routes are between brazil china australia and china uh, australia to europe so we are in our opinion a very fundamental part of the chain for infrastructure uh, the main uh, end product of iron ore and coal is steel. And as you know, steel is used in practically all the infrastructure, infrastructure and uh, construction um, projects around the world. So uh, I do not see that uh, being, uh, let's say, obsolete in any time in the near future. So cape size vessels are the largest conventional size of ships transporting iron ore, coal and bauxite.
0: And so uh, how many ships of those are in your fleet at Sea Energy?
1: Right now, we have in Synergy we have 17 ships and United Maritime 3. So a total combined uh, 20 Cape Size and one Newcastle Max. So it's, uh, which Newcastle Max is very similar. It's just slightly bigger than the Cape Size. So altogether, I would say around 20 ships. We also have five other ships that are the so-called Panamaxis, Campsar Maxis that are around seventy-two to 82,000 deadweight tons. That is basically half the size of a Cape size. Cape size is anywhere between 170,000 tons and Newcastle marks around two hundred five, to two hundred and ten thousand tons. So just to give you an idea of the size of the ship, we're talking about approximately 300 yards in length. So that's, that's, that's I believe around uh, 1,000 feet in length each ship. So it's really big ships.
0: Right. And then the Panamax ships that you own, are they involved in different trades than your traditional Cape size vessel?
1: They do pretty much the same, uh, mostly coal, not so much iron ore, but also a lot of grains and soya beans. So they're also doing uh, more, let's say, for the nutrition of the global population, not so much for uh, the housing and infrastructure.
0: And, and you know, how has the Cape size market been relative to some of the smaller ship trades?
1: Well, historically, the Cape size market has been the most uh, volatile market. Uh, you know, the bigger the ships, uh, the biggest, uh, the bigger the volatility. Uh, historically, if you look back like 25, 30 years, the Cape size and the Newcastle Maxis are usually overperforming by far the smaller sizes. The last five years have been quite consistent. but. We are seeing, uh, you know, reverting back to the historical means the last year or so, that the Cape Sizes are again starting to overperform significantly the smaller sizes. And we strongly believe that uh, for, you know, the years to come, for the following years, we will see Cape Sizes and Newcastle Maxis overperforming smaller ships uh, quite significantly.
0: And you mentioned that the three largest commodities uh, that Cape Size are, are shipping, um, is there one that's doing better than the other right now in terms of demand?
1: That's an excellent question. Up until two or three years ago, it was practically 80% iron ore and then 20% was coal and uh, bauxite. Right now, it's uh, quite even, I would say. It's around 40% iron ore, 30 uh, to 35% coal, and the remaining is bauxite. So bauxite has been picking up quite significantly in the last two or three years as has the coal so coal is back in our lives not just as the uh, you know production of energy but also for um, metallurgical coal which is used for the production of steel so coal is back up very significantly in our lives both for production of electricity and also for the production of steel which is you know one of the most important components in the steel making industry So it's quite spread out between the three.
0: Right, and and there's been a lot of stuff going on uh, in the shipping world since the pandemic. Um, You know, fast forward to today, uh, the dislocations that we're facing are the issues in the Red Sea, low water levels in uh, the Panama Canal, Uh, And not to mention, you know, what has the war in Ukraine uh, done to, uh, you know, freight flows. So can you talk about, you know, those three major things, how they've impacted uh, the Cape Sides uh, market? Of course, yes. Well, first
1: of all, I'm going to start with uh, COVID. COVID, uh, obviously the first six months of 2020, uh, the global infrastructure and industrial production came to a big halt. So, you know, rates were practically negative to zero uh, for the first six months of 2020. However, uh, we have seen that from the second half of 2020 onwards, there was uh, a very big uh, rise in industrial production, especially in China. So size rates started uh, to climb quite significantly. So uh, right. from from basically zero uh, rates, zero per day, zero dollars per day, <laughs> that was the time center equivalent back in the first half of 2020. Uh, first quarter, especially, of 2020. In uh, September of 2021, we saw rates peaking at around $80,000 a day. So we, are, we have seen a big reversal in demand. That was driven mainly from a number of factors. <clears throat> first, as I mentioned before, the industrial production started to climb quite significantly. So we're seeing the factories in China producing more and more steel and energy, which was required. Number two, we had the big peaks in congestion. Uh, any trade, whatever that may be, is demand and supply. So demand by itself is, of course, the key factor for providing transportation services. But at the end of the day, it's the supply of ships. Uh, During COVID, a big portion of the global fleet got tied up in congestion around the world. So, you know, a lot of ships got congested and that uh, brought the rates up into very high levels in 2021. Um, from 22 onwards, we had the war of uh, the invasion of Russia in Ukraine. That helped the market a lot uh, because uh, Russia is right next to Europe and they have been exporting around 40 to 50 million tons of coal from Russia to Europe annually. Now coal had to be transported from longer distances. So instead right. of bringing it from you know, the backyard of Europe, which was uh, Russia, now we have to bring in Europe uh, coal from bigger distances, and that was that is from Australia, from South Africa, and even from the U.S. I mean, the U.S. is actually a very big exporter of coal, especially in the Baltimore area. So we are seeing a lot of, and of course, Colombia. Uh, so we are seeing the trading routes changing a lot because of the wars and other uh, situations. Now, in 2023, the overall um, congestion uh, situation got normalized. So we saw a big dip in the rates. Uh, again, I remind everyone that this is a very volatile and very cyclical uh, trade. But that was reversed uh, from the third quarter onwards. And so far, since uh, let's say September, October of 2023, we're seeing a very healthy market and very healthy rates in the Cape Size market. So again, COVID uh, led to congestion. And of course, the emergence of uh, trade and that led demand and rates uh, going, uh, you know, at, at quite high levels. High levels. Then in 2022, the uh, war in Ukraine um, led to the rates picking up again because we had to bring coal from longer distances. 2023, we saw a dip because of the unwinding of congestion, and now, uh, you know, we are back into normalised levels where we see that. We have a consistent increased demand and consistent increased rates, and that has helped our market uh, quite significantly. <clears throat> Something right. very important to state here, and uh, going back to your previous question about uh, how cape sizes compare to the smaller sizes of the dry bulk market, the most important distinguishing factor is supply. As I mentioned before, you know trade is the element of supply and demand, right? So if you have a higher supply of ships, then Obviously, you have more tonnage in the water, and that leads to a decrease in the rates. However, uh, Cape Size, because the market experienced a very negative, uh, you know, market environment uh, for the last, uh, you know, six seven years prior right. 20, uh, that led to a very low ordering of ships. So right now, the ordering of new buildings in the Cape Size market is actually the lowest among all the mainstream shipping categories. So cape sizes now stand at around, let's say the global order book is around altogether, two and a half, 3%. And that's the lowest of the last 20-25 years. And that, in our opinion, is going to be the dominant factor going forward as to why cape size rates are expected to climb even further, because there's going to be a depleting vessel supply. You know, the current um, deadweight tonnage existing in the water is going to get older and older. It's going to be hit by environmental regulations, which are coming into play, and there's no new supply coming in. So as you can imagine, you know, even if demand is zero or climbs at very small levels, if the supply of ships is uh, declining, that is going to create huge opportunities in our segment. And that's why we believe that the Size market has the best fundamentals, historically best fundamentals, among all the mainstream uh, shipping categories right now.
0: Right, and, and what I also add when you mentioned Russia and Ukraine, I mean they're both also big exporters of grain, uh, and that grain, uh, at least the Russia grain and the, the Russia commodities, need to find new homes, uh, um, you know, outside their traditional markets since the limitations that you know most of the the, the world has put on uh, their exports and and a lot of the uh, grain that people might have been importing from Ukraine uh, those importers need to find new sources because of the inability of Ukraine to you know properly export um, uh, their their harvest either because they don't have the the, the manpower to um, you know to work the fields because they're in the battlefield uh, or because some of the crops were, were ruined due to the war you know you mentioned um, you know the order book, and, and I agree that's you know, extremely important. It, it can get people excited about uh, the prospects for the dry bulk market. You know, and you, you mentioned it is very volatile. How, how long does it take from a time that you put in an order with the shipbuilder until you receive your cape size vessel? How long does that uh, take?
1: That's a great question, Lee. Because um, the last two or three years, the hype that we have experienced in other shipping sectors namely the LNGs, the container ships, and the tankers, that has literally tied up uh, a big percentage of the global shipbuilding capacity. So even if someone wanted to place an order for a cape size day, the earliest delivery that the shipyards uh, in China, South Korea, and Japan are quoting took about second half of 2027, which oh, is wow. yeah, three years down the road. So even if there is a cancellation or a postponement, or anything on the other uh, categories that may lead to a new, um, let's say, order, is still not going to be significant enough to compensate for the loss of supply that we're going to experience going forward. So the loss of supply that uh, <clears throat> we are experiencing and it's going to accelerate going forward is twofold. Number one, the existing age of the Size fleet is going to get older and older, so you will have older ships you know, operating the waters. That's one thing. The second is the environmental regulations. So the uh, initiation of uh, the acronym CEXI, CII, the European Carbon uh, Tax and all that, this is going to reduce the effective vessel supply. So, you know, ships will get older, they will get slower because of the emissions. And, you know, some of them may not be in a position to operate. That is going to lead into an accelerated decline, which we are already seeing in 2024. But it's going to get more and more relevant in 25 and 26, with all these new regulations, uh, you know, happening and being in place. So, even again, as I mentioned before, even if demand is zero, which you know historically demand has always been increasing, um, the actual supply of ships and the effective supply of ships. Is going to, especially on the capes, that's the biggest, uh, you know, uh, the best fundamentals here, that's going to lead into uh, big squeezes because there's not going to be enough supply of vessels. And you cannot place an order with delivery prior to 2027.
0: You, you know, you mentioned uh, new emission standards and, you know, the IMO has come out with some, uh, you know, trying to get to zero. Uh, how's the energy dealing uh, with those new rules? Are you buying dual fuel ships? Are you just using, you know, or, or are you looking to add after treatments to the, your current ships? Can you talk about, um, you know, your strategy to meet those uh, pretty aggressive uh, targets for zero emissions?
1: Well, since uh, 2015, that's almost 10 years ago. We have been one of the pioneer uh, shipping companies around the world in trying to improve the environmental footprint of the existing vessels. We do not believe in the so-called vessel of tomorrow because that thing does not exist. Everybody's kind of a trial and error situation where they're trying methanol, ammonia, hydrogen, LNG, and all these dual fuel situations. And in my opinion, that has not led into any prevailing solution. Right now, there are 13,000 dry bulk vessels in the water. It is impossible to replace that huge amount of uh, ships. It's impossible. So, we have decided since 10 years ago to try and improve the existing vessels to the extent possible. And we have been quite successful in that. Number one, with electronic systems, you know, with telemetry, with improving the voyage. Uh, routing and all that, we have been one of the first companies to implement that on, uh, on board our ships. Number two, uh, scrubbers that we have uh, in more than half of our fleet right now and also energy-saving devices. Our company has been one of the first companies globally in partnership with some of the world's major charterers like Cargill, like many other big shipping com- uh, chartering companies to implement energy-saving devices uh, number three, uh, paints. Now with the new paints, the so-called silicone paints, we're seeing massive improvements in efficiency and the reduction of um, you know, consumption on board of vessels. So that has been working enormously on the fleet that we operate right now. Uh, and also most important, Synergy is the first and only Greek shipping company to participate in a European Union funded, we, we announced it very recently, European Union-funded scheme that is going to test hydrogen propulsion with with a sub-generator on board one of our existing vessels that is going to be 12 to 13 years old. So we are testing all these methods on existing tonnage because we believe that the actual carbon impact on a new building vessel is quite significant and nobody talks about it. I mean, think about it. If you're out there to build a ship... You need steel, you need iron ore, you need to blast furnace of about 20, 24000 tons of steel, construction, equipment, all that. Nobody, um, you know, estimates what is the carbon impact of a new building. If an existing vessel can become more efficient by, you know, 10-15% or sometimes even more, you know, that by itself is a major improvement. So we have been extremely sensitive in becoming more and more uh, carbon uh, neutral. And we have been one of the most active companies in trying to implement all uh, prevailing methods into the existing fleet. And then, you know, when we're not Google to invent the wheel here, you know, the modern wheel or something like that, we're a shipping company. We will wait to see what will be the prevailing solution in the future. Right now, we are not convinced that any of the proposed uh, propulsion uh, fuels uh, is safe, number one and efficient and cost effective so if you don't have sufficient safety if you don't have uh, energy efficiency uh, you know availability and if you need more energy to produce let's say methanol or ammonia what's the point at the end of the day so let's make the existing vessels more efficient and then when the prevailing solution comes across we will do it but we're just going to do, be- do
0: you think the current IMO regulations are going to get pushed out further to get to zero I think that we're
1: all in, uh, it's a combination. I think that, uh, yes, there will be some postponements and some, um, uh, let's say, um, adjustments because, you know, trying to implement that on a number of international vessels is kind of difficult. And I fully respect the fact that it, it's, you know, you have so many jurisdictions, uh, ports in, ports out, uh, the jurisdiction of the vessels, you know, so many uh, countries, members. So it's impossible to implement on that, you know, on so many things. It's not like a country. And even in a country, you need a dictatorship to apply something, (laughs) you know, uh, efficiently (laughs) on the population. So it's going to take years. We're going to get there. Uh, But we are on the right path. Uh, But it's a combination of things. Number one, what the the technology is going to look like in the future. And number two, how you improve the existing ships. That's what we're doing. Where we we believe that we are among the most uh, innovative companies uh, to be implementing uh, well-known technologies and proven technologies on the existing ships.
0: Right. All right. So we've been talking for a little more than twenty minutes now, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned uh, or really haven't talked much about the Red Sea. Uh, you know, that's uh, you know of top of mind for a lot of people that are looking at shipping. Are you guys totally uh, avoiding the area, or are you still running ships through the Suez Canal? Well, um, the answer is yes. We are avoiding
1: the Red Sea area. We had uh, six of our out of our twenty-five uh, fleet in total was scheduled one way or another to pass through the Red Sea um, sometime in Q1 and early Q2 of two thousand and twenty-four. All of these ships will now not pass from the Red Sea, either by us taking the initiative to tell our charterers, either by our charters telling us that they have decided. And, you know, we're talking about some very, very long voyages. For example, we have right now one ship which is in Southeast Australia, and that vessel is going to come to Europe. So imagine the diversion if it doesn't pass and it's not going to pass the Red Sea, to go around the Cape of Good Hope. There's about 20 additional sea days. So it's, it's huge. And a lot of ships that we have that are loading, let's say, in Seven Islands, Canada, or even in Baltimore in the US, and they're going to India, they will not be passing you know, the Red Sea. They will not be passing the Suez Canal. They will be going around uh, the Cape of Good Hope. Having said that, uh, that increases significantly the tonma. Uh, we're not certain what the impact is on the global Cape Size fleet yet. But if it's 6 out of 25 in our case, you know, which is a very good percentage of our fleet, if you, even if it's half of that or a third of that in the global fleet, it's still a significant uh, vessel supply reduction that is going to have an effect in uh, rates. Not right now, but it's going to have a big effect in rates in March and April this year. So even if the situation of the Red Sea is reversed tomorrow, all these diversions that have happened already will start to show uh, the impact um, in the next couple of months. And that's where we're going to see another big gap in supply. So the Red Sea is a big issue. We're a US listed company, we have two US listed companies. Another US listed company has been targeted twice on their ship so we're not taking any risk we're not taking any um, you know uh, unnecessary burdens here we don't want to risk the health and safety of our crew members and of course the health and safety of the ship and the uh, you know and the countries in, in the Red Sea so we have decided to, to avoid passing through the Red Sea
0: right you know you, you know obviously you, you, you want to protect uh, your crew and, and the cargo and all that stuff but the ship itself is pretty expensive what would a new if I wanted to buy a cape size today what would that cost? Well, (laughs) you know, uh, a cape
1: size, uh, let's say a 10-year-old cape size is right now around mid-30, around 34, 35 million dollars. A new building is around 70 million dollars. So it's an expensive asset. And at the end of the day, you have also cargo that, you know, if you carry 180,000 tons of uh, iron ore, you know, that's a $100 per ton. That's even another $18 million (laughs) worth of cargo. So that's a very expensive exercise altogether. So I don't, I don't want to get into a situation where we are considering risking you know the cost of the ship but most importantly the health and safety of our crew members which is quite significant here.
0: And who pays who pays for you know so it's 20 extra days rates also might go up a little bit as you mentioned. So who pays for that the the extra the extra days is it the the, the, the time charterer the the shipper the customer all of,
1: all of our ships are uh, on time charter, So we don't pay for the diversion. It's actually paid by our charters, you know, so they undertake the cost of that. But ultimately, you know, if the transportation cost becomes more expensive, that ultimately hits the consumer, you know, or the client. Now, you know, if the client is, uh, you know, a power factor in Europe or a steel mill in China or whatever, you know, producing all that, then basically, as you can imagine, the ultimate consumer or client pays the cost of the increased um, transportation. So right. that, that's how it works, you know. And
0: yeah.
1: it's it's not only the Red Sea diversion right now, but all these new environmental regulations and all this need for slowdown and, uh, you know, renewal of the fleet, that is actually going to be hit. Um, that is a big hit to the um, to the end consumer, no matter what. Right.
0: And so just so because a lot of people that listen to the podcast, they might not know shipping that well, the slower you go, the more fuel efficient a ship is. And can you explain, because, uh, again, some people might not know the terminology. What is a time charter? Time charter means that you rent the ship to your client
1: um, for a period of time. The other way, which is the spot, is usually the so-called dollars per ton. So you say, I'm going to rent you that boat. Uh, and the income will be on a dollars per ton basis. So I'm going to be, um, you know, my revenues will be based on a dollars per ton basis of transported cargo. However, a time charter is that I'm renting the ship to you or, you know, to a third party uh, for a certain period of time. So, you, you know, you don't care how many tons you transport or where you go. That's the responsibility of the charter. You just get a rent income for the period that you're renting the ship to that third party.
0: And a time charter is like a valet, like, a, you know, a big a, a big um, commodity player, right?
1: Uh, yeah, valet, of course. But uh, our biggest charterers are uh, Cargill, which is a U.S. company, uh, right. NYK, which is a major Japanese company, Glencore, a major European commodities trader. And then, of course, we we'll do a lot of business with Trafigura, with Anglo-American, with uh, some of the world's biggest miners and uh, trade. Traders of uh, dry commodity,
0: and so it's your ship, you, you and your crew, uh, and then the time charterer pretty much pays for everything else, right?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. we pay for we pay for the so-called vessel operating expenses, so that the crew, the insurance, you know, the maintenance, the person maintenance, and all that, anything associated with the voyage, which is you know the cost of the fuel, um, the canals, the port costs, and all that. That is paid by our client, so we don't participate in
0: that. Right, great. And you know, uh, you know, you mentioned a, a new cape costs in the seventy million. I think it's seventy four million dollars. Um, so we're in a higher interest rate environment. When someone's buying a new ship, ha- how much do they have to put down? How much are banks or, um, you know, whatever financial institutions that the shipping industries tend to leaning on today? Um, how much are they willing to underwrite?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, The fact of the matter is that uh, a higher interest rate environment has not deterred people from ordering new ships, not dry bulk, but I'm referring to LNGs, containers, tankers, and all that. So, higher interest rates and more expensive banking costs have not really deterred people from ordering more and more ships. So, even though the interest rate has been, uh, you know, a big component of our cost, the financial cost of of the company, uh it's still highly profitable to buy or order a ship not order a ship on, 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 on capes but to buy a ship right now it's it makes perfect economic sense even on a higher interest rate environment.
0: Right. You know we talked a lot about on the supply side. On the demand side, do you have an outlook on demand for this year for the commodities or, or just in general in dry bulk demand? Well, the biggest misconception of
1: two thousand and twenty-three last year was that uh, the Chinese economy was in, um, you know, severe problems due to the housing crisis, and that's actually quite true because you know you had the bankruptcy of Evergrande and a number of other major developers in China went into big financial stress, and the housing market in China, you know, <laughs> there's no question of how challenging uh, it is right now. However. Uh, In that challenging environment, China imported 100 million tons, 100 million tons of dry bulk uh, iron ore, coal and bauxite commodities in 2023. So the actual tonne-mile increase in China for 2023 has been around 5%. So it was a massive increase uh, of tonne-mile demand arising from China in 2023. And that, in turn led to a higher rate of exports. So, China not only imported a higher number of raw materials like iron ore, coal and bauxite, but also exported more steel. So, the Finnish steel exports out of China were up by around 5%, which is Mm -hmm. a very significant amount. So, even though they didn't use uh, steel for the domestic housing market, Um, because obviously the housing market has been in in a challenging situation, they did export a big amount of finished steel products. And that shows a very healthy uh, market altogether and uh, a smaller reliance on the Chinese uh, housing, uh, housing market, which is good for us. We don't rely just on how many houses they're built in China. So they make steel, they export steel, and we calculate right now that the global infrastructure projects that they will require a big amount of steel is in the region of around $2 trillion. The majority comes from the uh, Middle East area, like UAE, Saudi Arabia, and all that, where, as you know, is a massive infrastructure drive over there. But at the same time, in the US and a number of other countries, in Africa, you have massive infrastructure projects. So... Despite China being in such a difficult situation, we believe that infrastructure projects uh, will continue to drive uh, demand for raw
0: materials in the near future. All right. Fingers crossed. So, um, you know, just uh, to change gears a little bit, you know, um, I know you've been doing this for a long time. How did you get into shipping? Well, you know, first of all, my father
1: was a captain. Uh, on board the dry, a small dry bulk ship. So the first time I went on board the ship, I must have been like maybe one years old or something like that. So right. all my life I've been in ships. And uh, when I was 15, I got my Siemens book. Uh, and concurrently with my studies, I have been, um, you know, making small voyages uh, on commercial vessels uh, myself, especially in the summers, uh, as part of my training. Um, Then I did the finance degrees and all that, but always in relation to shipping. So I did shipping IPOs, I took a lot of shipping companies public in the New York Stock Exchange like 20, 23 years ago. And then I started to say, okay, you know, investment banking in Greece is not so prominent as it is in the United States. I had to look for, you know, the industry that I was feeling closer to and that was shipping. And I started as a CFO many, many years ago. And I became CEO of Synergy in 2012. So one thing led to another. It was a natural thing. I never looked of becoming, let's say, an architect or a doctor <laughs> or a lawyer or things like that. I always liked ships uh, yeah. around that. And, uh, you know, I was in finance first. And then I ended up uh, the last 12 years now as CEO running this company, which we started out of nothing. And we became one of the most prominent, uh, cape size pure-play companies around the world.
0: So when when you were uh, spending your summers on ships, you know what did you like most about that experience?
1: Well, it's a one of a kind experience, you know, because it's very international, and you meet uh, the trade, you see the cargo itself. You know, sometimes when we sit down, you know, on on, on a dinner table and we look at food, uh, we don't realize where that food is coming from, how many uh, you know miles. Of distances it has traveled or when we get a a steel to build a house you know a piece of steel we don't realize how that has happened you know to become you know the steel of building houses and bridges and all that you just become part of the global logistics chain you know and you feel how the commodity starting from you know the basic raw materials like coal iron ore and bauxite become the finished products like uh, doors you know, houses, uh, roads, uh, you know, rail tracks and all that, which is quite significant. So the biggest uh, and the best experience is that you feel part of a global chain of events that lead into, you know, how we um, spend our lives every day, food, transportation, infrastructure and all that. We just, you know, don't think about it. We we believe things
0: in a magic way. And, and to give people, like, a, maybe a better taste for, you know, the marine shipping industry, is there a book that you've read in the past, whether it's fiction or nonfiction that you think that gives um, a really good insight into what the shipping industry is like?
1: Well, I'd like to see, uh, you know, my, my, my first professor in uh, the University of Piraeus uh, taught us, all of us, you know, that uh, demand for ship transportation services is a derivative demand, you know, you do not transport anything if there's no global trade and if there's not global demand for these commodities. So I try to understand how that works globally. I mean, one of the books that I love and I keep reading and I'm reading again right now is uh, called Silk Roads. and talks about, you know, right. how Europe, Middle East and Asia have become what it is today through the centuries and how trade has become a dominant part of, uh, of our lives. So I try to look at the forest and then try to understand the ship itself <laughs> and, why, and why it goes from point A to point B to put it this way.
0: Right. Well, Stamatis, I really want to thank you for your time. Um, this was a great conversation.
1: Thank you, Lee. It's, uh, it's been great uh, catching up. And uh, I'm at your disposal and your uh, listeners' disposal. If there are any follow-up things that you want to expand about, you know, I, I believe we, you know, went through the whole thing very quickly. But if there's anything in particular that you want to discuss in the future, I'm there for you and for your listeners.
0: Thank you very much. Well, I want to also thank you for tuning in. If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives, shippers, regulators and decision makers within the freight markets. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Thanks, everyone. Be safe.